Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, please, chapter 18. We are working our way through the, this last section of the Gospel of John. I went to pick up a special order at a business that an acquaintance of mine runs with his brother, just, just the two of them in this business, which is mostly a catalog order place here in Bellingham. And, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to uh, place the order, had to try some, something on and, and uh, order this stuff, and uh, had this giant dog there. I mean, I don't know, I, I forget what the breed is, but it's, it's, it's huge. The back of the thing's about this tall, it's got long hair, really friendly, wants you to pet it. And then he had a miniature version of the same thing, which was a puppy. And uh, he used to have two dogs, and one of them went on to its reward, so he's got a replacement dog. And uh, so, you know, there's the puppy, and he's all kind of playful and whatnot, and and so two weeks later I go, and I would swear that that puppy has grown, you know, I mean, he says, yeah, he's probably gained 10 pounds since the last time you saw him. This great big dog, and the big one was not there, just the puppy. And so I'm petting the puppy, you know, and being nice. I like dogs. And, and, uh, and then I, I go on, I'm doing my business. I'm talking to my friend. He's taking my credit card, blah, blah, blah. And pretty soon I, I feel something on the back of my leg. And, you know, my pants are loose like this, so, I mean, at first I thought, well, the dog's kind of, you know, he's kind of giving me one of those jobs, and pretty soon I thought, that dog's gotten his teeth on me. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's sort of like he was working his way up to something. <laughs> but I'm smart, because I'm not going to just stand there like nothing's going on. Because <laughs> a dog that size, with them little sharp puppy teeth, could take a hunk out of you, you know, get me up, come do one of those jobs, and you know, and, and I'm standing there, and pretty soon he's doing that again, and I'm doing that. <laughs> pretty soon his owner comes over, now you sit down, and <laughs> leave the nice man alone. <laughs> a dog bite is something to avoid diligently. I was bit by a dog once, and that's enough. I don't ever want to be bit by a dog again. I want to talk about how to avoid something today, and that thing we want to learn how to avoid is what I've chosen to call spiritual failure. Spiritual failure. We're going to look at the story of Simon Peter and his denials of Christ and try to understand how we can avoid the failure that he experienced. In John 18, we're going to start reading in, chapter, in verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now the disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. 
Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coals were there, stood there, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met, meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off, he said, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again and immediately a rooster crowed. These are the events on the eve of the crucifixion. And we have picked up the story after Jesus and the disciples were in the garden. They were out in the garden, had the episode where Jesus spoke to, you know, he said, I am, when they asked, said, who, you know, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. The soldiers fell down. And uh, eventually he surrenders to them. They tie him and lead him off. And what we find in the whole gospel story is that all the disciples fled. They ran for their life because they were afraid they were going to get arrested and, and killed as well. And that was Jesus' will that they run away and not be put under this pressure at that time. But the scripture says, Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. And uh, I would assume that they were following perhaps at some distance. You notice it says, another disciple. If you look throughout the Gospel of John, this other disciple is mentioned over and over. And uh, most scholars believe that it is John referring to himself but being uh, trying to be humble in the sense of not naming himself. Sometimes he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Remember at the upper room, uh, there was one leaning on, him bre on his breast, the one whom, who Jesus loved. And, and so John doesn't name himself. So these two disciples are following, and they come to the door. And I'd like you to perhaps imagine our church as the courtyard this is a courtyard. This is a, a picture that we took when we were visiting our daughter in, in, in Europe. And this is where the church is that she goes. And when we walked in that door that you can see over there, I thought we were going to open the door and walk into the church. Just like here you would walk, open the door and walk into the church. But in Europe and in many places in the world, there is a fence around the property. And when you walk in, you just walk into the courtyard. It's an outdoor, open place like this. There could be trees, there could be pavement, there might be dirt. And so the, the, the entourage came in the doors into the courtyard and no doubt went up and into the house. This was probably the kind of house where you do business and live as this place was here. Peter is left outside. The other disciple was somebody who the high priest knew and the servant girl must have known. And when he came along, they said, oh, okay, you can, you can come in too. 
But Peter is stuck at the door because they said, we don't know who you are. And so the other disciple went out and he said, hey, he's okay, you can let him in too. And so Peter comes in and stays in the courtyard. And it says that the soldiers were there and had a fire going to warm themselves. They probably had a thing like, if you've ever been to Costco, and at the right time of year they're selling a fire pit. It's a round metal thing on a stand and you build a fire in it. They probably had a thing like that off in one corner of the courtyard and they were the hired help, you know, the, uh, the folks who were not important. The important folks were in the house and they were standing over there warming themselves and so Peter was cold so he goes over to warm himself too. Now, first of all, when he comes in, the servant girl says to him, hey, you're not one of his disciples too, are you? It's actually written in the negative she intended, she thought he would go, oh, no, no, I'm not one of his disciples. And then he's standing over by the fire, and they ask him again. And then later, a different person comes and asks. And you notice who the person was. person was a relative of the guy who Peter struck with the sword. Now, if a guy strikes one of your relatives with a sword, his face is probably burned into your memory. <laughs> Dude, stay away from that guy. <laughs> He says, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And he says, no. Three times he denied. In a relatively short period of time. The title of my sermon today is How to Avoid Spiritual Failure. And the thing that I'd like you to understand is this. Peter failed spiritually because he was lacking in humility. He was lacking in humility. You remember this verse from the Proverbs? We, we often kind of compress it. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We like to say pride goes before a fall, right? That's how we always tend to say that verse. This is a principle from, from God from the Old Testament. Pride goes before destruction. In other words, the way to stumble and fall is to be proud. The word haughty literally means high. high opinion of yourself. Okay? Um, this is a, a, a reference here from Luke about how the disciples talked among themselves. And you see what they, how they used to talk? There was a dispute, there was an argument among them as to which one of them should be considered the greatest. Can you imagine that discussion breaking out in the welcome room after church? Now, I'm not sure, but I think I'm better than you. No, and Raul says, no, I'm better than the both of you. Can you imagine that? And yet, that happened on more than one occasion. And on one occasion, one of their moms came to Jesus and said, now Jesus, I want to tell you who the two greatest guys here are. <laughs> it's her sons, of course. And when you come into your kingdom, I want one to sit on the right hand, one to sit on the left. Okay, we, we can't fathom that. Now, and part of the reason is because we're looking with our Christian eyes, our born-again eyes, at Jesus and this whole scene, and we're thinking, really? They, they argued about who was the greatest? Yeah, they did. There was no self-esteem problem among the disciples. Well, I should say there was a self-esteem problem. And the problem was they all thought of themselves higher than they ought to think. 
Here's a warning that kind of goes with that Proverbs warning. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Humility is a Christian virtue. Look what Peter himself wrote years later in his epistle. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let him exalt you when it's his time. That's the Lunsford paraphrase. Peter learned his lesson. He didn't stay proud. In fact, I think if we would look at all of the relevant scripture here in the Gospels, we would understand he was greatly humbled by what happened here. Peter was not thinking of himself soberly. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, let every person think of themselves soberly. Now, we know when a person gets drunk, they don't have good judgment. And God is using that word in a metaphorical sense to say, don't think of yourself like a drunk person, you know, have this inflated opinion, have a proper opinion. See, what I'm going to tell you today is also going to be this. God doesn't value having a poor opinion of yourself. That's not what this is about. You know, sometimes we think humility looks like this. Oh, I'm no good. I can't do nothing. Blah, blah, blah. No, that, that's not what godly humility is about. In fact, that's really false humility because we tell everybody how terrible we are because we want them to come along and pat us on the back and go, you're not that bad. That has nothing to do with godly humility. I had a friend in college who was Chinese. He was second generation from China. His dad grew up in China. His dad was a, a real kung fu expert. My friend was a national champion in judo, and he, he taught, uh, I don't know if he would call it a judo class or some kind of a martial arts class, as a PE class when I was in college. and We took that and had some fun with that. But this fellow was was extremely good at what he did and was the real deal. But he told me about a time when, when uh, he got to thinking as a teenager, I think I could take the old man. <laughs> and he got, you know, and I think that was before he was a Christian, so humility was not one of his virtues at that point. And he got to, uh, you know, fussing around, and, and the old man says, okay, let's, let's go. So they squared off. And before the guy could hardly move, his father touched his shoulder in such a way that it went limp. (laughs) End of the fight, right there. (laughs) Now, what's amazing is, he told me that his father had done a similar thing when he was under training back in China, and there's the kung fu master, and his dad is the student, and his dad's thinking, hey, I think I can take the old man. The teacher put ten colors of paint on his hands, and they bowed, and by the time they came up, the master had touched him ten times in ten places that could have been fatal. What is your opinion of yourself? God says we need to think soberly, soberly about ourselves. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then Peter's words, humble yourself. How do you do that? I want to suggest to you today 
some scriptural ways to humble yourself. Because walking around with your head down doesn't get the job done. Here is the first way that you ought to humble yourself. Humble people obey God's word diligently. Do you remember this episode from the uh, life of Peter and of Christ? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets, obviously having come back to life. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter knew he was dealing with the Son of God. Now, I'm certain from the rest of Scripture that he didn't fully grasp who Christ was, but on some level, he knew Christ was the Son of God, and yet, when Christ said to him, Now, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter went, you don't know what you're talking about. Wait a minute. Is he the son of God? Does he have the right to tell you God's word or not? Humble people obey the word of God whether they understand it or not. Whether they like it or not. Whether it looks hard or looks easy. Even when it sounds like a criticism. You see, we don't have the privilege of the audible word of God. God is not going to come along and speak in our ear and say, now be careful here or don't go there or that's wrong or that's right. He's not going to do it because he's spoken here through the word. He spoke through his son Jesus Christ and we learn about Christ in the word and he spoke the rest of his truth and we have it all here. But the question is not, do we, do we say it is God's word? The question is, are we humble enough to put ourselves under the word? When God's word speaks, do we say yes? Second Peter says these familiar words to us as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given, us, ex, given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God says, look, I've told you Everything you need to know. There it is. And so you read the word, and it says, for instance, you need to believe in Christ as your Savior. Christ died on the cross. His blood paid for your sin. You can't save yourself. Only he can save you. Now the question, you know that truth, but the question is, are you willing to submit to that truth? The ultimate pride is to think you can make it to heaven without faith in Christ. God has told you that you're a sinner and that only Christ is the Savior who has paid for your sin. Do you believe? Are you living in that humble faith? 
The second worst kind of pride is to think that once you have received God's salvation, you've believed in Christ, and you're on your way to heaven, now I can handle everything else myself. I know what God says, but God doesn't always understand my world. I know what God says, but that's really hard. And so I'm going to go my own way. What you need to understand, Christian, is this. If you do that, you're living in pride, not humility. And pride goes before destruction, and a high-minded spirit goes before a fall. Humble people not only listen to the word and learn the word and live the word, but they accept the warnings of God. They accept the warnings of God. God is so good. He's so good that he warns us when we're headed in the right direction. You, you know this verse here as well. Oops, I didn't get that one written down. 1 Corinthians 10.13 There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. Think again of Peter. Peter made this over-the-top claim. When Jesus said, look, I'm going to go and uh, be killed, uh, I'm going to go on this hard path and it's going to end in my death, Peter said, I will never abandon you, even to the death, I will never abandon you. And Jesus looked right at him and he said, nope, not going to happen. In fact, here's what's going to happen, Peter. You're going to deny me three times before let me just put it in the vernacular. You're going to deny me three times before three o'clock in the morning. When the cock crows three times, that's, you know, uh, excuse me, uh, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And if we look at the whole timing thing, it's, it's early, early in the morning. Perhaps even a miraculous thing that the cock crowed at that moment. Jesus told him, look, you're not up to this. Jesus, our good Savior, warned him that he was not thinking right. Not only a verbal warning, but God put a roadblock in Peter's way. He put a roadblock in Peter's way, and the roadblock was the door. Peter came to follow Christ in the door, and they closed the door on him. You know, God is so gracious... Sometimes he'll shut the door to try to keep you from walking down that path. Arthur Pink, in commenting on this passage, said this, Was it not by God's providence that the door was now closed? Happy for Peter had he remained on the outside. The Lord had plainly warned him to watch and pray lest he enter into temptation. But Peter disregards his admonition and he knocks for admission. Why else would the other disciple have gone out? God in his mercy put an impediment in Peter's way, stopping him from going on to that which would be the occasion of his sin. So oft times he does for us. How does God warn us? First of all, God warns us through the word. He tells us in here, don't lie, don't cheat, don't break the law. When you speed and you get stopped for speeding, God warned you. 
when you speed and roll your car and have a tremendous accident, you go, oh, God, what are you doing? Whoa, don't wait a minute. I'm the one who already warned you through the word. God warns us about all kinds of things in the word. Not only does he say it's not right, but he shows us the result of doing it. You know, in speaking about adultery in the book of Proverbs, he talks about the adulterous man who goes on his way. He says, until an arrow pierces his liver. That's what it says. God says, look, this is not going to work out for you. He warns us, but if we're not humble to the word, we don't listen to the warning. We know better. We have a high opinion of ourselves. God warns us through other communications of his word, like a sermon. What you hear when you come in here is never an accident. I don't claim any inspiration, but I claim that the Holy Spirit knows you and knows this word, and he says, he, he puts it on my heart to say things, and I don't know what's going on in everybody's life. I know sometimes you think I do, but I don't. And God goes, hello, hello, did you hear that? Don't be sitting there talking about your neighbor. Now, he needs to hear that. Because if you do, you might be missing the warning that God's given you. You know, the warning could even be about salvation. I went right up the street up here and, and, and shared the gospel with a, with a lady who was dying of cancer. And they, they made nice. And, I mean, they asked for me to come. And they made nice, and they talked about coming to church. And I followed up a little bit, but no interest. And she died. You know, God is warning you with every piece of truth that's spoken today. And I'm not trying to be heavy-handed or manipulative. Believe me, I'm not. I'm trying to say, look, Jesus warned Peter, look, you're not up to this. And he said, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, can you believe that? God warns us. Sometimes God warns us also through the body of Christ. God has put people in our life that know us and care for us and love us. And from time to time, they may warn us, a husband or wife, a parent, a pastor, a grandparent, a teacher, a coach. But it no better, I'd almost think my wife was a prophetess in Tukwila when I was getting involved with the police department there. I, I rode with a female officer, and at the end of the day, she says, I don't think you should ride with that woman. And I kind of went, well, you know, whatever. But I said, okay. She's my wife. She has the right to that kind of, whatever you want to call it, accountability. And so I, I didn't ride with that woman for years. And that woman went on to have multiple husbands and partners. That woman was on the prowl. I could have blown off God's warning through her. You need to take seriously when somebody in the body of Christ warns you because you're either a humble person who is looking for God's direction, whether it comes through the word, through a sermon, through a person, through a providential restriction of a circumstance, or you're an arrogant person who thinks, yeah, you can control it, you can handle it, you know it, you're going to go right on for it. I had a pastor who, I had a friend who was a pastor who committed adultery. And in the aftermath of those events, I said, did God ever warn you 
Oh, yes. Just like that, he could tell me all the times God warned him. Including through his accountability partner, who he just flat out lied to. Now, the only reason you do that is because you think, hey, I can handle this. I know you're telling me I'm getting too close here, but you know, you don't know what you're talking about. I can handle this. Friends, all i got to say is pride goes before destruction. But humility, humility brings the exaltation of God. See, that's the cool thing. We look at the situation and we say, well, boy, if I humble myself, then I have to kind of pull back here and I have to follow and so on. But you know what 1 Peter 5, 6 says is, over here, God's going to exalt you. And, and the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it, the Proverbs say. Wow! What a great thing is that going to be? I just need to be patient and let God exalt me. When I felt that dog getting his puppy teeth on my pants, I didn't wait till he bit to move. Peter completely blew off the warning of Christ, and he reaped the result of spiritual failure. Now, we look back with our, our 2020 spiritual vision, a 2020 spiritual hindsight, and we say, how could he have been so arrogantly stupid? <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> and what about you, friend? Are you humble under the Word of God and under the warnings of God? Humble people accept the warnings of God. Oh, there it is right there. I should pay attention to my own notes. There you go. Number three, humble people confess sin immediately. Humble people confess sin immediately. We just read the three denials of, of Christ by Peter. Okay? John very, uh, very skillfully weaves it into the rest of the story. He even mentions that warming fire twice so we know, you know some things went on and we go over here and some things go on and we go over here and, and, and we see the three denials of Christ but what was the first sin of Peter? The first sin of Peter was rejecting the warning of Christ. When Peter warned him and he said, Peter, you're not up to it. In fact, what's going to happen is you're going to deny me three times. Peter should have said, you're right. I've been thinking of myself more highly than I ought. And I am going to humbly follow your instructions. But he didn't do that. And so he trudges on. He comes to the door. He denies Christ. Now, what should he have done right there when he denied Christ? He should have confessed his sin right then. Confession of sin uh, it comes from 1 John 1, 1.9. It says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us. The word confess means to agree with God. When there is a sin in your life, what God is looking for you from looking for from you is for you to step up and say, God, you said this is wrong, and now I say this is wrong. I agree with you that I did wrong. That's a little bit different than saying, God, I know I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. Will you please forgive me and please don't punish me and, and, and please be nice to me? No, God looks down from heaven and he says, is what you did a sin? God, please just forgive me. God wants us to humble ourselves under the word and say, that was a sin. And it's important that we develop the spiritual discipline 
of confessing the first sin immediately. You see, if, if, I, if I get up in the morning and I sin, what kind of a thing am I going to do next? A righteous thing? I'm, I, I've, now, I've told the Holy Spirit, I don't want your help. I'm going to live my own life. Really? And what's going to happen is I'm going to make another sinful choice and another sinful choice and I'm going to be standing down here and Jesus is going to be brought out of the house and when I say that denial, the cock is going to crow and Jesus is going to go. And then I'm going to go, how did I ever get here? I know how you got there. You got there because right here at sin number one today, you didn't want to confess it. You said, well, I don't, I don't think it's that bad. You liked the sin. I don't like to confess sin. I don't like to admit that I'm wrong. But I have to. We have to confess the first sin immediately. God tells us to walk in the Spirit. So we get up in the morning and we open the Bible and we take a soul examination and we say, God, is there anything that I've left unconfessed from yesterday? And if there is, God brings it to our mind and we say, God, that was wrong and I'm sorry I let it go so long and I confess it. Help me to turn and do right. And we read in the Word and we say, God, give me a piece of food for my day. And, and on that basis, we get up and we start walking through the day and we, we ask God for His help and we, we tell Him our challenges. And then we come along and we stumble and we sin. But because we've been walking in the Spirit, the Spirit goes, that's wrong, that's wrong. And we go, oh God, I want to keep walking with you. I don't want to stop walking in the Spirit now and start walking in the flesh. And so we confess our sin. We get right with God and we keep walking until the next time. And we keep doing it and we keep doing it and we keep doing it. And consequently, the, 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 the line of our life looks like a righteous walk with a few short-term blips outside and we get right back on the path and we're walking with the Lord. Peter sinned and, and he just stayed in that dirty rotten attitude and he just said, he does not know what he's talking about. And they come to the garden and Jesus went through that whole thing and in retrospect, John says, Jesus gave that display of power and he told the soldiers, now you don't need to arrest them, just me. He did that so none of them would be lost. And Peter should have recognized that and said, you know what? This is not my fight and I am not up for it. And he should have gone home. But he just couldn't let it go. I, I've given my word and I've got to prove myself or who knows what was going through his mind. But he should have listened and he should have walked away. And both Luke and Matthew tell us that after this event, he wept bitterly. I don't want to weep bitterly. Did you realize that this famous phrase that we like to quote, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, do you know that that's words that Jesus said to Peter right before this happened? He said, Peter, look, <laughs> the Spirit is willing. 
And, and so consequently, what he said to him was, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Because that's the fourth thing that humble people do. Humble people pray exhaustively. Humble people pray exhaustively. Jesus said, there's only one way for you to avoid temptation, and that is to watch and pray. And of course, what did Peter do instead of praying? Oh man, I'm so tired. Literally, he was asleep. And Jesus came out and kind of roused them out of sleep to try to get them to wake up and pray. And he went back and had another prayer session. Now, I, I, God isn't telling us we have to deny ourselves sleep in order to pray. But God, what God is telling us is, look, you need to be praying about your life. We all know where some of the temptation points are in our life. We don't know where they all are because new ones present themselves every day. But we need to be praying. Say, God, give me the way to handle this. Humble people pray exhaustively. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. uh, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. Really? To have an ongoing conversation with God? Is it possible to have such a relationship with God so that when you get up in the morning and you you initiate that time with God, that as you walk through your day, that you could develop the discipline that every time something comes at you, that you think, oh, I need to pray about that, 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 because I am humbly putting myself under God's control, and I want His help, I want direction this is not about me proving that I'm something this is about God showing how great he is and so all day long all day long all day long all day long whether it's a temptation or a praise in everything give thanks (laughs) rejoice always continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And even the words of Christ himself, he spoke a parable to them or a teaching example. And the point that he was going to make in the story is men ought always to pray and not to faint or not to give up. Why do humble pray, people pray about everything? Besides the fact that God has told us to do so, why do humble people pray? Here it is. Here's the profundity you're looking for today. We don't know what will happen in one minute. We don't know what will happen in one minute. Now, we think we know. We think in about, in about 40 minutes, the roast is going to be overcooked. Or I'm going to lose my place in line at the rest. We think we know some things that are going to happen. And those are reasonable judgments, but we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know that if in two minutes there could be an earthquake and this place could be collapsed. Those of you under the balcony are in the safest place, by the way. Because I have it on good authority that that steel beam and those cement piers are never going to move. Also in the elevator. The contractor said this whole building could burn down and that thing will still be standing there. Of course, electricity won't work. 
But you know, there's a plaster ceiling, and I'm pretty sure that if there was a 7.0 earthquake here, I'm going to be in trouble. Why do humble people pray about everything? Because we do not know what is going to happen in a minute. And here's the other thing that Peter didn't understand at all. We don't know who the real opponent is, what the real opposition is. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, praying always, therefore, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. We don't know what the best outcome is. We don't know who our enemy is. We don't know what we don't know. And so when God says we need to be praying consistently all the time we need to do it let me ask you a question don't raise your hand have you decided whether or not you need to pray have you decided whether or not you need to pray I'm gonna presume the answer well Dave of course I need prayer well here's the follow-up question so do you We have decided that we need to pray, but do you? Well, you see, my schedule, my kids, my school, my job, my this, my that. So you haven't decided that you need to pray. That was what Peter decided. He decided sleep was more important. Friday, it's last Friday, Stephanie was working around here with some other ladies, and, and Malachi, that's my grandson, for those of you that are new in our church, Malachi came with her, and he came to Papa's office because there's candy in Papa's office. He selected his piece, and I said, would you like to help me with that? And he said, no, I do it. Then after a while, help you? <laughs> Friends, whether you know it or not, your whole life is something you need help with. And God is ready to help. But we've got to humble ourselves, like Peter did in the end of his life, not like the proud guy at the time of Christ. Father, help us. Help us to humble ourselves under your word, under your warning, under prayer, under confession, help us to humble ourselves so that you can exalt us when you know it's the right time. Father, help us to just live under you and to know the joy that only you can bring as we do that. I pray in Christ's name, amen.